Once you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Hello, 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 beloved listeners. This is Octavia's Parables, our podcast where we are reading Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower and Parable of the Talents chapter by chapter. And this week we are in chapter 18 of Parable mm-hmm. of the Talents. I am Adrian Marie Brown. I'm Toshi Regan. And we are your happy co-hosts. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are here. We, we are, are here, present. okay? We're fully <laughs> present. And, um, and that's not the easiest thing to be these days. So here Sounds we are. Right. And um, Toshi, any news? Yeah, um, I would love to uh, say that um, that if you are in the New York area on July 9th, uh, Toshi Vegan and Big Lovely is at Bryant Park at 7 p.m., a free show. You are welcome to come. You will need to show that you are either vaccinated or you have had a recent negative COVID test. Um, this show will also be live streamed. So if you're not ready to venture out into the public, you will be able to see it. I would look for bryantpark.org, I believe, or I'll I'll post it on my social media as well. Yeah, we so, can throw it in the show links too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so good. Um, I will announce the Octavia E. Butler tarot deck is Yay. complete. It's complete. So you know, our initial goal was to have it out in the world by her birthday this year. And then pandemic slowed everything to molasses, you know. Um, so we're still aiming for it this year, but we've got the final everything. So the designs are gorgeous. Our designer is Ben Blount. Um, and he has made something exquisite that really honors her legacy. Like he looked at her journals, her favorite colors, her papers, Mm. like all kinds of things to inform the final outstanding thing. It's shimmering with gold and all that you touch, you change and alchemy. And I mean, it's just stunning. So um, akpress.org is the place to keep an eye out for. Very soon we will have a pre-order link there um, where you can start to secure your your copies of, you know, the inaugural printing, although our goal is to have it be something that is in print in perpetuity so that there's no uh, scarcity around access to it. Um, So that's huge. Um, I think that's the big announcement I have for this. Ooh, I have announcements some more. Oh, give me some more because I feel like so much is happening. (laughs) So much is happening. Well, one thing is Parable Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, the opera dates uh, for 2000, spring 2022. So um, I'm going to start posting those as well, but I can tell you we will be in Boston um, with Arts Emerson um, February 17th to 20th. Wow. And we, I can't remember all the other dates, but we will be in Champaign-Urbana with Craner. We will be in Ann Arbor, Michigan. We will also be, let's see, we will be in the D.C. area, the DMV, with a co-production with Woolly Mammoth and the Strathmore. And those tickets are on sale. So um, I'm just finding out. (laughs) Some people put things on sale and just found out like yesterday. So it's really cool. Uh, We don't know what that's going to look like, but everybody's taking a lot of care and being very adaptable to wherever we're going to be at that time around how we all fit in the theater together and Mm. uh, take care of each other. So. That will be a high priority. Toshi, Toshi, Toshi. That's so exciting. Um, yeah, yeah. I really am grateful to hear the Arts Emerson news, particularly just that you're back on track with that. And they've yes. been such a sweet partner in all of this. Yeah. So They are great. And the Parable Path Boston is amazing. And yeah. we will be doing an alchemy of, ch- of change, a parable becoming something in, in Boston. I just went to visit Franklin Park. I don't know. So it's uh it's amazing there. I'm really excited mm. about what we're gonna do. Yeah, oh, we might have exciting. to. I might have to call you. I know. I was like, eh, <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen. I have some openings in my calendar. Um, I got you. You know, I guess the other thing I should start announcing, I should start talking about, is my my um, the first novella of my novella trilogy 
is coming out this fall and it's off to the printer. So that's always the stage where you're like, okay, so this is really going to be, this is really a thing. And it's going to be a really thing. thing in the I'm world. I'm so excited. Um, and I can't make any more changes to it. So <laughs> it's, it's, this is what it is, right? That's, it's very difficult. This is the hardest part for me um, is always the part where I'm like, don't read it again. Like once I send it, once let it go. Gone, I'm like, you can't read it again. You just have to let, let it go. It go. Um, but I'm excited. It's my, it's a love letter to Detroit and it is always, always, always in the lineage of trying to learn to use this technology that Octavia taught us of our imaginations to find our way through the impossible, hard, ordinary, hard and ordinary things, right? Yes. So yes. here we are in chapter 18 and um, we're going to spend some time with Mark, Mark Gold. So will you bring us in? I would love to. Okay. Beware, all too often we say what we hear others say. We think what we're told that we think. We see what we're permitted to see. Worse, we see what we're told that we see. Repetition and pride are the keys to this, to hear and to see even an obvious lie again and again and again. May be to say it. Almost by reflex, then to defend it, because we've said it, and at last to embrace it, because we've defended it, and because we cannot admit that we've embraced and defended an obvious lie, thus without thought, without intent, we make mere echoes of ourselves, and we say what we hear others say. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the books of the living. Yeah. And this is chapter 18. Octavia is not playing not with playing us. Ah, I would call this chapter, We Not Ready, or I would call it Fear is a Weapon, or I would call it Relative is Relative. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, <laughs> it's like, it is something else. And, um, and we start off with Marcus and Marcus has written a book. And so this is just some, some, you know, you know, re- refrains from Marcus that says, I've always believed in the power of God, distant and profound, but more immediately, I believe in the power of religion itself as a great mover of masses. I wonder if that's odd in the son of a Baptist minister. And reflection on his dad, I think my father honestly believed that faith in God was enough. He lived as though he believed it, but it didn't save him. And Marcus, which we have covered in other chapters, so I'm not going to go on and on, but he starts to tell the story of how he came to become a preacher and um, and some of the things that happened to him on a journey that we are, we already have read about. And um, one of the things that he says is uh, post-America's successful churches were, were only sources of inf- influence. They offered people uh, safe, emotional catharsis, a sense of community and ways to organize their desired hopes and fears into systems of ethics. Those, those things were important and necessary, but they weren't power. And he gives the power and the glory to Andrew Steele Jarrett who we all know very well at this point and his Mm -hmm. creation of Christian America. And he feels that that move from pulpit into politics, that's when he started to turn religion into a source of power. And um, in our contemporary times, I think we all are very, very familiar with this and the danger of it. And so we are at at his understanding and his collaboration with Christian America. And he is, uh, he's one of their pastors, goes around and talks and all of that. So then we get to Larkin and Larkin tells us, I love my uncle Mark. And, um, and we once again hear how good looking and how beautiful he is. I really want to see this man. <laughs> I know. Me too. Like, I, dang. like, who is, what does he look like in your mind? Oh, I think he doesn't, I think he has, I think he is, is golden with a beautiful face. I think mm-hmm. his face is very mm-hmm. clear. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever happened to him didn't affect his face. Yeah. You know, when she talked about him when he was younger, when they were kids, 
I think he might have had a real face as a child, but I uh-huh. think whatever happened to him, his face has emotionally merged to reflect that beauty in a yeah. particular kind of way, you know? Mm. So I don't know if you see a real face or if you just see a beautiful face, because that's all people talk about. And every time I know, talk about him. Every time I know a lot of beautiful people and um, they all look really, really different. And I know really beautiful people that's they not beautiful and a beautiful <laughs> face will not save them and they like can't you just cover Mm-mm. they can't cover it it's just like go oh, away beautiful person <laughs> like, you know you're not healthy but <laughs> yeah don't want don't want you over here i don't care how pretty you mm-hmm. are you need to get get nope. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so um yeah so Larkin, I'm appreciating so much for her reflections even though she is just in the kind of a terrible position of, you know, dealing with her elders and all her families. Yes. Her adoptive parents. Now she's, you know, talking about her uncle and um, her mom and her dad. And so she is navigating some real complexity. She says what Mark has been through as a slave marked him. I'm sure, but I don't know how much. How can you know what a man would be like if he grew up unmarked by horror? So Uh what did my mother's, and she reflects on Lauren, she now has both of them that were just basically brutalized. And she looks at what what that might be. And this is what she says. Um, she was always a woman of obsessive purpose and great physical courage. She always She's always been willing to sacrifice others to what she believed was right. She recognized that last characteristic in Uncle Mark, but I don't believe she ever saw it clearly in herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is a, a real interesting reflection from Larkin. Yeah. And here we are at the Journals of Lauren Oya Olamina, Monday, May 14th, 2035. Mm-hmm. And Lauren, Lauren, um, just is going to step to her brother because she is, she is on the path of finding her child. It's like where, Mm -hmm. where, where, you know, I know where you are now and I'm coming to talk to you. And she wants to know, like, does he know where her child is? Mm -hmm. And they have like a pretty bad meeting. First of all, she looks like a man. So he's like, you look like a man. Like, and she's, She's in that that state that she puts herself in so that she can survive and not be found out. And so, you know, that's a pretty intense state of being. So she it's not like she looks like a man that's like cleaned up and everything. She looks like a man that's been on the on the streets. And yes. that's how she's yeah. she's been she's been moving around. So mm-hmm. she asked for help. She she simply asked for help and she tells him, Your people have her and I wanna know where she is. And he is in complete denial. He's like, first of all, what are you talking about, my people? Mm. And look at yourself. And they get into it. And, you know, I wrote a note, Mark is an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so he is, he, uh, he's yeah. not available. That's just all I can say. He's not available. And eventually he hits her and and like runs away, you know, because he can't deal with any of it. I love that Octavia wrote this character because I feel like, Everything about how this religious, in, religiously infused patriarchal thing all swirls in together into someone that faced with someone who is really family and really just has a different perspective than he does. It overwhelms him in every possible way. Like he cannot handle it. And there's so much fear in the way he responds to her, the way he acts, fear and control. And it feels so current. Like I've never yeah. read this when I didn't feel so current. This is the water we're swimming in and this it's weighing us all down. The way he responds yes. to her when she's just like, I'm looking for my child. We have a different worldview. Like <laughs> we, I don't need anything from you, but this guy, you know, and he, his response is, I must hurt you. Yeah. And it's, and she really, you know, you can tell she, the character of Lauren, the, the Lauren Alamina is stepping in this, trying to be the coolest that she can possibly be. But now she knows she's very close to her daughter. Like, you know, yeah. it's almost like, so she simultaneously is like, how can I say this? Because they're both traumatized and she is very recently traumatized. Yes. And, you know, how can I say this? And she's inside of the space where the people are at, that have like done harm to her and like, you know, ruined Acorn and all this stuff. So she's at a lot of risk. And she tells him everything. 
she tells them how they kill kill people and rape people and kill Van Coley. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he has no empathy in that moment at all. He just is, is not accepting anything. You know, it reminds me of this recent story where there was a policeman who was on, on January 6th, yeah. who, who was in a, you know, in a vicious fight. And I think it's the one who said it was the worst hand to hand combat he had ever experienced in his yeah. entire life. And like in all of his like training and, you know, having to go into dangerous situations. And he's trying to get, um, I think it's McCarthy mm-hmm. to basically, you know, publicly tell the senators who are lying about who's, who are publicly lying, saying it was a peaceful protest. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of these, these terrible lies about something like everybody witnessed. Right. And he says he tried to get a meeting with him. He couldn't get a meeting you know, McCarthy got finally um, publicly shamed into meeting with this man mm. and to this man's face, basically who has been injured. He told him, well, I might have some private conversations, but I'm not going to publicly exactly. like tell people, you know, actually these people are lying. And then <laughs> the guy left and they said, you know, well, what do you think? And he's like, I actually need a drink right now. Like he was like, I need a drink. Like I, I just can't imagine how he must have felt. So, yeah. Lauren Alamina is just like I cannot with these people. So, her brother is um is is not being helpful. But eventually, she goes back, and she goes she goes um she goes back to uh to this place. And I think like in between, she has gone to the message tree. She has like found out some information about some of the uh, the other people mm-hmm. who have been on the road, like Jorge and D. They have found their brother, Mateo, who found them. They're all communicating through this. This thing is holding. She got another phone number so that she can reach people. She hasn't heard from Harry and additionally, she's able to warn people not to come to that place. Mm-hmm. Like that, that lots of the people who worked at Acorn are there and they shouldn't go. Yeah. So and especially Mark. <laughs> she's like, especially mm-hmm. Mark. Most you know, dangerous but, person. But we not, we not ready. I mean, it's just like, she ends up, she ends up like dressing as a woman and she hasn't done that. She has not traveled anywhere other than like probably Acorn being like dressed as a woman and it, and immediately is just such a different sensation and she goes to the women's section and there's all kinds of things um happening over there and she notices a fight there's a pretty aggressive woman and um once another woman defends herself they kind of take both of them away and disappear. she just yeah she's and they disappear and um nobody knows what happened to them and that really upsets her because you know obviously one of the the women you know, was just minding her business and not needing to interact at all in this situation. But eventually she tries to find her brother and she is told that he left and that he's now going to Portland, Oregon, and he's going to, going to be a minister up there. And this is devastating. The person is telling her they had a party and he's such a great minister and he's going to do such great work up there. Mm-hmm. And um, eventually this like, you know, gigantic um, uh, security guy uh, comes up to her and she's petrified. And I, I can't say this enough. Like I'm going through this pretty quickly, but Octavia does not let you forget for one second that what Lauren is carrying her her whole thing with her. She's, she's carrying, yeah, she's carrying all of the trauma, all of the fear, all of the everything around what happened around being enslaved and violated and, and, and then experiencing the end of her community and the loss of, of her, her family and her partner and her child being stolen. Like that is with her all the time. And then she's carrying the understanding that these people are everywhere And that she's basically entering where they are. Um, And because she knows so well how they operate, she is still in the trauma of it. So she pretty much gets frozen when she sees a a uniformed security person come up to her. And this person was sent by Mark. And Mark gave this guy a letter and said, give it if anybody asks for me. 
It, it could be a woman dressed like a man. It could be somebody tall and dark. He just describes her and says, give this letter to them. And so she ends up having a conversation with this person as they explain what she is petrified the entire time. Mm-hmm. And the guy says, Mark says to tell you he's sorry. She just was like so like um, shook that it took her a minute to like get her voice and say thank you. And she just was petrified. And she says that she just didn't stop to think. She just takes the the envelope, she puts it in her blouse and she walks. And then she's so in the emotion of that moment that it takes a minute. Like she's not doing any of the stuff that she usually does when she travels. And she's wearing a skirt and a blouse and like, you know, all of this. And she actually gets caught um, by two men who are, are tracking her and who she notices and she can't get her gun, but she has access to her knife. And that ends up being a fight. Uh, and it's a fight that Lauren wins, but she also experiences um, a really, really heavy dose of hyper empathy when yeah. one of the people is stabbed. And that is that is that is a lot. Um, and she's just dropped to the ground and she's rolling around and she just is feeling all of the pain. And but both of them were down. And this it's been a long time since we've heard her just get caught off like that. Like she experienced a year and a half of slavery and really was able to keep that secret. But that again speaks to the impact of what's going on for her that she, you know, she's trying an extreme thing to get, to get answers. And, you know, so Mark writes to her and says, he's sorry that he hit her. He said he couldn't stand to lose everything again. He just couldn't. And he feels like that keeps happening to him. He lost mom and dad. He lost the Durans, even Acorn, where he thought he might be able to stay. And he says he couldn't see how anyone connected to Christian America could do what she had said, and he could barely stand to hear her say it. He also says that he did ask people, and he found out that there was a subgroup called Jared's Crusaders, and that they're extremists within the church. And that they have been placing their uh, young children in Christian American homes and that it wasn't safe to really ask about that. He's kind of like bending between like, oh, that's so shocking. I can't believe that really exists. Yeah. To like, But they are putting the kids in, <laughs> in homes yes, and things like happening. that. You know, this is definitely happening. And he, but he doesn't sound enough to me. I don't know how you feel that he thinks that's a bad thing. <laughs> no. Yeah. He's like, I mean, yeah, that's happening. You know, of course he probably thinks it's a good thing. Anyway. But- yeah. Yeah. He's, you know, and he's not like copying to what he may have said about Acorn that got every gave them such good information about um, the layout of Acorn so that they could so easily attack them. He Sorry. finishes up with this, like, you know, here's some money. And he's like, your cult has failed. Your God of change couldn't save you. Why not come back to where you belong? If mom and dad were alive, they would join. They would want you to be part of good Christian organization that's trying to put the country back together again. I know you're smart and strong and too stubborn for your own good. Blah, 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 blah. He goes Mm. on and on. I'm not even going to read it because I'm like, yo, Mark, you <laughs> so you need Jesus. <laughs> you need a little Jesus in your life. You know. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> so anyway, he's he also uh, talks about like the positioning of women and the organization. So he's really mm-hmm. like, come and join and shut up. Yes. And be of service to the Literally, men. That's you will not basically, be allowed to preach, but you can come here. Like you can be of service, know, which is such a turnaround, right? <laughs> yeah, anyway. like so. She's like, "Yep, oh, that's yeah. what I'm looking for." So it's a, it's a, it's a heavy time. It's a heavy, heavy time. And he didn't say where he was going, and she thought that was, she thought that was very, very significant. That you know, she had found out, but that he didn't say. I moved on. I'm going to Oregon. You know. Yeah. And he feels like he should should uh, should help her and all of this stuff, but he he is like I don't know simultaneously avoiding and kind of stating purpose. Yeah, and it's and so yeah. it feels very trappy. It feels very 
you know, I'm trying to show you this hand, but actually there's another one. You know, the one thing that, that happens with, with um, Lauren when she gets to, you know, the end of, or Octavia, when she gets to the end of this, is she makes this this uh, great statement, which I am just holding. Um, you know, she says, on the other hand, one way to make people afraid of you is to have a crazy side, mm-hmm. a side of yourself or your organization that's dangerous and unpredictable, willing to do any damn thing. Mm-hmm. Is Is that what's going on? I don't know. And my brother doesn't want to know. And so she's just basically saying that the whole thing could just be a harmonious relationship. The the extreme, this same thing we're all experiencing right now, mm-hmm. that basically uh, the extremism is in relationship to, you know, the legal activity of the government, but that they all work together and support each other mm-hmm. and are very, very dangerous for all of us as the the high I missed it by a day I was on 95 driving um down I missed it by a day as like these these men with gun, with um guns that say they don't respect the laws of the land like block the highway mm-hmm. and uh cause a tie up so mm-hmm. here we are that was chapter 18 yeah. and I'm ready for these questions thank you for this summary Toshi you know, there's so much here about this sibling relationship. You know, my sister Autumn and I are doing a whole series for the How to Survive the End of the World podcast that's just sibling relationships. Mm. And we're learning so much about them. But the ones we're looking at are ones where the siblings are aligned and get along. And I think actually what Octavia is exploring here is so much more common where the siblings have these fault lines that are actually rooted all the way back into the fault lines of the family that they grew up in. Um, and it keep continuously plays out here. So I want to go all the way back to the earth seed verse of this and ask a few questions there, because I think that this might be the most uh, applicable verse for where we are currently in movement space. Mm. I really yes. feel like this might be the verse where it's like, hold on. And the questions I have, you know, it's not just movement space. Cause I think movement space, we end up being a microcosm of what's happening in the world, right? We're not immune to the shaping and the power of the world. And so this is this moment where everything is about perception, stories being told, illusions, you know, kind of being whipped into the frenzy of something before you actually know what it is you're being pulled into, what it is you're being pulled into. And the news is moving so quickly and so constantly. So ask yourself, what are you currently being told to see? What are you currently being told to see? And you might even do this as a writing exercise. You can pause (laughs) and write for a little bit and just make a list. Like, what is it that your community wants you to see? What is it that movements want you to see? What is it that mainstream media wants you to see? What is it that capitalism wants you to see? What does your family want you to see? But what are you currently being told to see? And the next question also related to that verse is, have you ever found yourself defending a lie, right? Sharing a lie, promoting a lie, uplifting a lie, believing a lie, but defending a lie, defending something that you're like, I doubted this, or I don't know if this is true, but here I am now. Now my foot's in the, in the, in the, in the fight. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's so good. Mm -hmm. That's so good come through Felicia Rashad. Okay. <laughs> just now, just you know. like, you know, hello, welcome to the table, <laughs> the red table. I love okay. her, but I was like, ooh. I mean, no. shocked, right? I was just like, okay, there you are. Mm-mm. There it is. And yeah, it's yeah. always, it's. I think it's so relational, right? Like we will do so much in the name of relationship. And so really mm-hmm. being able to point to like relationships make it so hard for us to see sometimes the truth of what's happening. And relationships make us hard, it hard for us to ask questions when questions are warranted. And mm-hmm. relationships make it hard for us to say, actually, <laughs> I, I, I have more information. I know something else about this that's, that I checked it out. The thing you said isn't true, whatever it is, right? Relationship mm-hmm. can make it hard to do that. It can also make it more possible to do that. And I think that's the kind of relationships we want to be generating is relationships where it's like, oh, you can say you were wrong. You can say, I looked and there's no receipts, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So 
then this piece around religion, which, you know, reading Octavia's work, I think in every single major collection of her work, you'll find a critique built in around major religions. And in this one, she's talking about the power of religion, especially as it takes on sort of a mass base building uh, political bent. And I want listeners to think about and readers to be thinking about what do you believe is the true power of religion? What do you believe is the true power of religion? And are there times when you have seen the moving of masses to have a positive impact and a negative impact? Building mass movement often gets presented as if it's just like, that's a great thing. And but often <laughs> what actually happens playing out is you have a lot of people who are not necessarily thinking for themselves. And so how do you build masses that can also think for themselves? I think that's the maybe essential question of 20th century and 21st century movement building. How do we do mm-hmm. that? Now we're moving into the relationship between Lauren and Mark. And the way I always read it is like Lauren lost Mark to the church. You know, like they, mm-hmm. they, were siblings, they grew up in the same similar thing. And she was able to get out of this, this place that ended up being kind of a violent and oppressive force in her life in multiple ways. And he didn't get out. He, in response in some ways to his trauma, reverted back to the place that felt safest to him. And he climbed that ladder. And so a question I would ask people is, do you feel that you've lost loved ones to the church? Hmm. They're people that you love or have loved that you feel like you had to give up, you had to surrender because of a commitment they had to religion, to some organized religion. And I would say, yes, <laughs> for me, there's <laughs> definitely people that I'm like, oh, dang, like you would choose the uh, a value that doesn't honor my ex- right to exist over being in relationship with me. And that that That's right. is an extremely sharp and painful loss. It doesn't dull. Mm. As long as the people are living, right? You're like, oh, you're still alive and you're still every day you're choosing that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All the time. (laughs) All the time you're choosing that. Okay. Uh, Um, And I think related to this one, the way they are in the conversation is so painful. So are there people in your family or you can self-define that family chosen blood family who you cannot actually listen to? Like when they're saying things to you, no matter what they're saying, you literally cannot hear it. You can't find a logic to it. You cannot understand. Mm. You can't listen to them. And similarly, are there people who you know cannot really hear you? You say things to them. Maybe you come with your best intention, your loving redirect, (laughs) your your (laughs) honest request, whatever it is, but they cannot hear you. And they always come back with a distorted version of what you said. Just notice that, right? Because all that is, these are things that all exist and Octavia is just putting them in the sharp relief of this particular apocalyptic story, but we're all in these, all navigating these dynamics all the time, right? That's right. If you were leaving a note in a message box about your life right now, what would be essential? Mm. (laughs) What would you share? I love the, coming to it and being like, we discovered this. You know, I just imagine these short notes, a couple of lines right. is the essence of what you need to know, which would be so challenging for me. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I need a book a year to explain how I'm feeling. <laughs> you know? <Yeah>. So like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh. People you know, at the tree trying to read your note. Yes, <laughs> they're, they're like, like great, we cannot stay not, here. She, <laughs> we're in danger trying to get this update. Okay. Um, yeah. So like, I really think about that. Like, how do I, essentialize, oh, this is the transition. This is where I've landed. Mm-hmm. This is what you need to know about how I'm surviving. You know, here's something you might be able to use. I really feel like there needs to be a workshop on that. Yeah. Because I I just know like in my my family, like the the close family that I do the most communication, like we are all really, really different. Yes. And like sometimes mm-hmm. I'm not naming names, but one of us (laughs) really leaves out like the actual information that you need. Like they tell you something that's, 
You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like the punchline of the joke is missing. <laughs> you know, it was yes. just like, how am I supposed to know where you were from that? Yes. Or how am I supposed to know where you want me to be from that? Like, I don't, yes. I don't, it's not enough. You know, they'll no. leave very few words. And, but you, I'm like, yeah, I just don't know where to meet you actually. Like, <laughs> no. And I find, I mean, I, I know that I have a similar problematic shaping around the data piece. I'm so mm. like in the dream of what was, what's going to happen. And I often find like if I'm the person making a flyer, <laughs> that it'll be like, here's the beautiful thing that's happening. And then people will be like, when, where, how, <laughs> what time, how could I access that? <laughs> you know, I'm just like, it's gonna be gorgeous, you know? So yeah, but I'm like, the, what is, what matters in your life? I, yeah. I also think it's really interesting to think about, we live in this world of constant updates, many of which mm-hmm. don't necessarily really matter. And we can get caught in echo updates, where it's just like we all have to share what we think about something. And I'm like, did we all need that? You know, I I keep asking myself this all the time. I'm like, I'm really upset about, you know, what's happening with this, that, or the other thing. But I'm like, do I need to add anything? The upset has been expressed or the thing, the thing has been expressed. What I need to do is sit with my ancestor altar and feel the thing, (laughs) you know, Um, and trying to notice that board board. But I'm like, what is the essential hmm, data of my life in this moment? I also think the amount of intimate information I know about people that I I don't know, and I'm I'm always wishing like could it be like could it be in a message? Yeah, (laughs) like could it be in a group? Like you know, and it's also like it's also concerning information, but Mm -hmm. there's not enough of it for you to like you just know (laughs) oh somebody like the oh my god I can't believe you died. Listen, I, I'm just listen. like, wait, but we you know what we I'm what? so sorry. I just don't know who, what I don't know. And it's yeah. just like, let it go by you. But how, how are you not taking that in? And Ooh. so interesting, you know, yeah, guys just know so much about, you know, about people. So well, and I think that there's something like when I look at most of our, you know, kind of current social media, I see so much loneliness. Right. I see mm. so much loneliness and, and uh, reaching out, longing for belonging, longing mm. for belonging, like reaching out, trying to be like, here's the most vulnerable, tender thing, which, you know, is, is actually hard to share with one other person. And but somehow this 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 structure has made us like, I'll just I'll share it with a few thousand, a few hundred thousand, yeah. you know, and it's like, hmm, you know, how, how do you restructure the system? to be comfortable with mass intimacy, but still struggle so much with actual one-to-one intimacy. And then how do you figure out what is essential inside of that? Like in the, in this novel, loneliness is, would be like a luxurious thing. Like what they're experiencing is being consistently forced into company where they have to be surviving all the time. And they're sharing with each other. It's just like, here's the survival stuff. And and, you know, it's kind of like belonging is on the horizon. Belonging is not one of the things they can sit and be concerned with every day in in, in that way. Um, I do, I do yeah. love our community, though, because I have seen mm-hmm. how people are starting to like, you know, when uh, people do that IG live, that spontaneous yes. IG live when they're in a lot of pain. Yeah. And I've I've seen people come on. And start like telling the person, hey, sis, I'm at home right now. Right now. Like you can call me right now. I could come over right now. Like, do you really want to do this? Like I've seen people start to to not just sit back and and kind of be a a witness or a voyeur to to that, but actually like be trying to get their people and say like, look, we can actually do something about this. Yes. Which is which is so beautiful to see. It's so important. It's so important to have interventions that are not performances. You know, Mm -hmm. it's so important to have things where it's like, I'm just going to send you the resource that you said you needed. or I'm just let's talk. (laughs) You know, Um, and even now, you know, I definitely have people in my life who will read between the lines you know, because we're becoming that coherent, that fluent in each other's text, that it can be like, hey, are you okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I just posted that. I was very happy. What do you mean? <laughs> like, yeah, uh-huh, like, you posted mm, that no. you were doing too much, <laughs> you know, um, the essentials, you know, the essential thing I could tell is that you just sound like you were just sick and then you moved. So <laughs> maybe you need, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think about this message box, the tenderness of it also is that they're 
going from the ins and outs of every aspect of their life being intentional and as they wanted it to be together from ACORN to the traumatics of being forced completely upon each other and knowing everything and going through trauma together to mm-hmm. now being so isolated from each other and only able to share these little notes. The message box becomes so precious. Becomes really precious. It make it also makes me think of like how hard they have to work to do it. Yes. Yes. So wherever they are, they have to to get to that place to and they have to do it. And then she's like, I'm I'm spending the night in the tree. Yeah. You know, and um yeah. and how incredible that is and how sometimes I'm like, I'm not gonna return a message right now because I'm tired. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm in a layer. <laughs> well, and it is it feels like constellation work somewhat at this point, right? It's like yeah. there's still there's still a shape and a form to them, but they right. are really these distinct stars trying to like beam light mm. out to each other and and being like, here's where I was. Here's where I was. You know, that's what stars yeah. are always saying. Like, hey, this yes. is what, this is what I did. This is what I was shining. Like, you know, however many years ago, however many days ago. So, mm. yeah. So sit with that question for yourself and, and maybe have conversation. You know, that could be a prompt that I think could lead to some good, conversations, especially coming out of pandemic, like the message notes, right? Now, back into the religion question, I wanted to ask, do you feel like you understand the danger of religion intersecting with politics? I feel like we have this norm that we point to of a separation of church and state. It doesn't actually get actualized. (laughs) You know, um, we live in a very, very, very hyper-religiously influenced state in all these different ways. But then I think often when we are doing our political work, there's a religiosity to it that we don't acknowledge. That we're kind of trying to build up new faiths and new systems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is there a way to do that without leading to that same imbalance of power and imbalance of the sacred? So some thoughts there. And as Lauren keeps going in and out of this center, it makes me reflect on what are the places that are too traumatizing for me to go? Um, mm. Really technically to, you know, it's just like, I can't handle going in that space. Um, going through customs has become a space like that where I'm like this, I'm terrified the whole time. Even, mm. you know, not that I've done something wrong, not that I am in there, whatever, but I, I know that it no longer matters. Like enough things have happened that I understand the power dynamics when I'm in those spaces police precincts are like that. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, and then, so how do you enter those spaces? Because just because they're so terrifying to you doesn't mean you can't get away with um, avoiding them. In this, Lauren has to find Larkin. That's her, Mm -hmm. her reason for movement, her reason for going and doing anything. So she has to enter. How do you prepare yourself to enter traumatizing spaces? Mm. Do you or your work have a crazy side? You know, do you or your organization or your movement, do you have a a side that does the kind of risky, flagrant behaviors that actually move the mark, the needle? We always talk about this as political tactic and strategy is that the work of direct action, the work of direct confrontation with power um, is actually to open the way for policy change and for these political conversations that then want to say, oh, we would never. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you would never make it without it. <laughs> you would mm-hmm. never. <laughs> anyway, but do you all have that side? And then my final question for this chapter is, do you ever feel endangered by your empathy? Mm. You ever feel endangered by your empathy? And this time reading this chapter made me feel so tender. It really made me feel my little hyper empathetic <laughs> self, where mm-hmm. you know empathy can be manipulated and used. And I think so often it is used by people to take advantage of kindness, to navigate power dynamics, to do all these things. And I think our movements really need to get great at empathy. We need to get great at having, like honing and developing empathy, but also protecting empathy in ourselves and others, like protecting the capacity to really be able to see and feel what others are going through. You know, we're in this moment right now where that incredible runner, Shakari, is being pulled out of uh, the Mm -hmm. Olympics because of, of her use of marijuana. And 
it's it's a simple thing where empathy would have changed the outcome, right? Would yeah. have shifted the outcome for people to be able to say, oh, oh, her mother died. Her mother just died and she found out about it from a reporter and she's 21 and she's under this immense pressure and she lives in a place where this is legal and she comforted herself. And as she said, I am human, you know, all of that to me is just like, there's this huge opportunity to just be like, this is a moment for empathy, you know, but you know, it's not there. It's not there. And I think that's, I think that's a really heartbreaking situation. And I think it's, but it, it um, represents many of our institutions. And it's, exactly. it's one of the reasons I got, I just don't really enjoy sports is I love sports and I, and I know what you at mean. that level, I just, it's hard for me to enjoy them anymore because I feel like I got to wait for all of the, um, the, the hammer to come down on all of the drug tests and everything exactly. about everyone. And, you know, how many people are just like, please, Serena, <laughs> let Serena have her career and like never just like, let people be, you know, I think there's something so interesting about like, to me, I'm the opposite. You know, I'm like, so she smokes weed and she's still the fastest person, you know, yeah, like, right? that's like, we, even more superhuman. Like, like, that's incredible. But I'm also like, she it's, we just have these things that are just, I'm like, there's no logic to it, it but it is, any sense it's also like, all. this isn't really about the incredible, you know, it should be. That's why the Olympics are so, you know, confusing because it's like, this should be just about the most amazing human things that the body is up to and doing, but it's also this corporate and values and moralistic, you know, dominance game, right? The whole yeah. thing. And yeah. and all of the sports. Was, yeah, exactly. But weed, weed is like the thing that Everybody has smoking. been, <laughs> yeah, it's been the it's been the weirdest thing because it's it's just now being legalized and then it's being legalized in these like, you know, hierarchical ways. So like people still in jail that, you know, got <laughs> busted for weed. Yes. White folks running everything. Making like, billions. <laughs> making billions of dollars. Like, you know, all of a sudden you're hearing about moldy weed and all of these, like, you know, different um, things. And then, you know, it just takes, yeah. it just, you know, National Football League is saying, like, all of these places. I'm just like, y'all, y'all are really, uh, yeah. something about alcohol, yeah. I, you know, and something about prescription drugs, which, it's you just know. It's wild, but it's also fascinating where these we expect this super heroic acts we expect this deep overriding of what the body needs we expect people to um not to attend to their emotional selves to purely be body selves for us mm -hmm. in some way and you know you don't feel empathy for something that you know when you're just like this is a horse i'm betting on this is yeah you know this is my my car in the race or you know it's just pure competitive energy and wanting to control that. And um, yeah, it, I don't know why it comes up so much for me, but I, I'm just like, you know, what would it look like to have that empathy for each human being? It's just like, oh, grief, when grief is happening, here's what we do. Like every time I read this novel and especially this time around, I'm like the grief that she's walking with, the trauma that she's walking with, but the yes. grief, like, the sheer number of losses that she's moving through the world with each day. And then she's on this, in this precipice where she doesn't know if she's lost Larkin for good or not. Like it's yes. such in a huge emotional weight to be carrying. And, you know, I'm like, who has empathy for Lauren? Like really who's able to hold what she's going through, what she needs as a person, as a leader. She just, she's a black woman. She doesn't get it. She doesn't get held the way yeah. she needs to. No, because they do be finding empathy for a lot of these athletes. They mean mm. they like you know they do find, you know, somebody does something you know something and it's like a man or it's I, I mean there's so many cases of it, mm. and they're like you know he blah 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 he da 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 da, da mm -hmm. you know yeah. and it 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 just feels like you know how how many years did people really like with rumors about Lance Armstrong mm. and like they, I feel like he just pissed everybody off. And so they were fine. Like we're done. 
and we covered for you for all of those years. And yes. now we now we're not going to do it anymore. So yes. seven years ago, you had a test, yes. and now we're going to get you. Yes. I, it's it's a mess, and it's I a mess. and and I I'm really grateful for Octavia for giving us this like just extremely complicated star of a woman. And when I say star, I mean like stars in the sky mm-hmm. of of a woman on a journey, like really holding all of these things, all of these relationships, yeah. all of these emotions and all of these practices. And when she finally like kind of, kind of has to let down a practice and the second she does it, she gets attacked. Yeah. It just says so much about the journey and how um, she survives that because at least she has, she still has the ability to protect herself and to fight and to do these things. Yeah. But she, it never would have happened had she not been in that like very, very extreme situation with her brother. Yes, exactly. You know, so it's, it's deep. Yeah. And, it's, and if he had to have empathy, you if know, he had to so. have empathy, like just a heart, you know, just to, uh, the idea of like, you've been through so much. Let me help you. But just he was not that's able right. to access that. So Mark is trash. <laughs> and that's chapter 18. Um, <laughs> that's chapter 18. Oh Sometimes it bees like that. So Sometimes y'all, it bees. <laughs> I'm just saying. So Octavius uh, Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan. And myself, Adrian Marie Brown. We are produced by Kat Aaron. Our show art is by Krista Franklin. And tell us about the music this week. <laughs> the music? <laughs> I don't have no music for Mark. I just want to say. There's like, no songs you know, for Mark, okay? <laughs> you know, I have empathy for Mark, but I ain't got nothing for Mark. That's good. <laughs> it's That's like, great. He's going to have to be songless <laughs> at his sermons. I can't, I can't sing for Mark. But um, I will say that Always See the Stars is written and performed by Toshi Regan. <laughs> Wait, and I was just like, it's trifling. <laughs> I was like, we do have a song for Mark, but I don't Adrian might Adrian it. might have to put a song in for Mark because <laughs> I ain't got nothing. And um right. I'm always singing for Lauren. And yes. so, you know. And uh A Goddess Change, uh written by Toshi Regan and performed by Toshi Regan and my mama, Bernice Johnson Regan. I love that. You can yeah, find yeah. us on Twitter at O Parables, and you can sustain our show as a patron at patreon.com slash oparables. And you can always visit readingoctavia.com for transcripts of each episode. Mm-hmm. See you next week. See ya. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change. Like